the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. Thursday, December 8th, 2022. we got a lot we're going to do today. Uh, let me give you the phone number, 602-508-0960. we got giveaways. We've got some great guests coming up. And uh, I'll get to the Brittany Griner story in a few moments as well. But first, last year, more adolescents died from fentanyl overdoses than in all of COVID, nearly three years of COVID. So here's how Boston is handling the drug problem. Handing out crack and meth pipes, among other drug paraphernalia, to open street drug users. The mayor and the head of the Boston Public Health Commission said they are distributing, quote, safer injection and safer smoking kits that can include the glass pipes for crack and meth and other smoking-specific items like filters and pipe tips, as well as cookers and tourniquets for intravenous drug use. The health commissioner said, quote, we want to make sure people are using drugs in a way that decreases their harm, close quote. In other words, steering them away from injecting and getting them to smoke the drugs instead. But, of course, also providing tourniquets as well, just in case the user is noncompliant. Is there such a thing as public health anymore? Does it mean anything anymore? If you are thinking, has the whole world gone crazy, let me assure you, you are not alone. Why the heck don't we just put alcoholics in wine and beer bars to save them from bourbon? All these intravenous users started, initiated, began their drug use with inhaling and graduated to IV use from smoking the stuff in the first place. This is a policy that merely puts the heavy user, if he or she complies, back to the very place that put them on the road to the heavy use they are engaged in now. I mean, why not just make our new anti-sniper strategy something along the lines of giving 45 automatics and shotguns to the snipers while suggesting they lay down their rifles? And for God's sakes, can we treat heroin and crack like we did cigarette smoking? Can the vast public health department apparatus learn a thing from smoking or drunk driving or Smokey the Bear and try a little prevention messaging? The message should be stop and don't and don't start, not making cigarette use healthier by putting filters on the tips. That strategy, by the way, the real strategy, the serious one, the prevention one, reduced smoking of cigarettes over 50% in our lifetime. And when we did have that strategy on illegal drugs, we reduced use by over 60% in the late 1980s and 1990s. Now, we'll just make it less expensive, in fact, free, easier, and give them the priming supplies. A friend and expert on this stuff, Dr. David Murray, has been a guest here before. He put it to me this way. Necessity is not the mother of invention. It's the mother of futile dodges. The response in which the officials of the state become agents of sustaining and enabling destructive behaviors present a form of moral hazard. But it is more than that. 
it fails as a public health strategy as well. In the aggregate, the rates of destruction from acute effects such as mortality induced by the continued drug use as well as the chronic perpetuated morbidity effects, the persistent erosion of the person's agency and health risk presented by the continued exposure to the drugs themselves, it's all coupled with the loss of prevention deterrence and the undermining of incentives to enter into treatment and recovery, the whole becoming a series of futile dodges, widening the prevalence and normative acceptability of the high-risk behavior that is sustained through this state-sanctioned maintenance. It's not a strategy for driving down the loss of life. Again, if you pull a drowning man from the river only to return him to the water, you have not saved a life, neither his life nor the lives of those who watch and are drawn into the cycle of destruction. It is immoral and it is ineffectual. That is, the state provision of safer, quote-unquote, methods of self-destruction represents more than a moral crime. It is furthering a public health blunder. It becomes a form of euthanasia with state sponsorship. A person subject to this state action is no longer a citizen but rather a slave, while the polity that perpetuates this self-harm is no longer a moral community but rather a regime serving the culture of death. Any policy that does not strive to end or reduce this high-risk behavior represented by the now officially sustained continuation of the drug use itself has abrogated its moral standing as a human community and any name you might want to attach to the notion of public health. The effect will ramify through the generations to come. It is not a pathway for sane policy, but rather a dead end into which human remains are swept and covered from view. We must not accept these verdicts. As I was thinking on this, I stumbled on a recent interview with author and journalist Sam Quinones that just came out. He spent a lot of try- time trying to understand the meth and fentanyl crisis and was asked about these quote-unquote safe-use policies. He answered this way. First, keeping people alive by reviving them with naloxone, or what we call Narcan, has its own risks. And the risks are that you will, over repeated overdoses, damage your brain because your brain is getting a deprivation of oxygen each time you go into overdose. You're seeing this now all across the country. We've probably never seen so many people overdose on an opioid in the history of the planet as have overdosed in the United States. And then so many of them are revived, but we're seeing now that this is not risk-free, that you now have people who are overdosing and developing brain impairment. As for safe use sites, he says, I suppose there are ways to run those sites in a way that avoids overdose. But the idea of having a policy that says, well, we're going to provide for you until you are ready for treatment, flies in the face of a reality where people are on the street living in degradation and exploitation of the most rank manner. I think we need to keep in mind that keeping people on the street is a death sentence. There's a saying on the street, and I've heard it from several people, that there is no such thing as a long-term street fentanyl user like there used to be with heroin. There are people who use heroin for 30 or 40 years, but with fentanyl, everybody dies. There may be people using it who function in societies to some degree, but eventually everybody dies. And the other part of fentanyl that I think safe injection sites need to deal with, he says, is the fact that it's a fantastic anesthetic. I've had fentanyl myself, he said, used in surgery. It is a revolutionary drug that has made many surgeries possible that weren't possible before. One way it does it 
is potency. But another way it does that is that it gets you in and out of anesthesia very quickly. That's the whole benefit of it. Within minutes of having my surgery, where I had a stent placed, I was lucid, talking, hello, how you doing? That's not the case with morphine. And I would say that the mere fact of its ability to bring you in and out very quickly of its effects is what makes it an absolute torment for users. So people who would inject or use heroin twice or three times a day are now finding that they have to use fentanyl four, five, six times a day. That means you basically have to live near the safe injection site. Your life has to revolve around it. If you have to use fentanyl four, five, six times a day, you're never really moving anywhere away from those sites. That's something like every two, three hours. It's exactly that component of fentanyl that makes it an enormous boon to drug dealers and traffickers because now you've got people who have to use more often. If they had to use a certain amount of heroin to stay well through the day to keep the drug sickness away, now you're seeing them use maybe two, three times as much fentanyl. That means more sales and a more regular customer for the trafficker and the torment for the users. This is about supply creating demand. There's no heroin addict in America who wanted to become a fentanyl addict. They were transitioned to fentanyl by mixing it into the supply either sloppily or intentionally, and I think a lot of both. And now you've got a whole bunch of people nationwide that are using and demanding it. As for picking these people up, this debate over involuntary commitment was not really the debate it is now, before fentanyl and before methamphetamine. And I believe that's very natural because these drugs have clearly made it so that people are without a doubt incapable of caring for themselves. And what's more, they provide real public health hazards through tent encampments and just being on the street. There's more than just that person whose safety is at stake. There sure is. A child was burnt to death in the Phoenix encampment a few miles from here, age 30 weeks. Last week, a 10-month-old was rushed to a hospital in San Francisco and given Narcan after picking up fentanyl in a public park. Speaking of young children, did you see the story earlier this week on yet another big publishing house putting out yet another awful book, story, and lesson for yet another set of extremely young brains and souls? The Daily Mail reports that the American Girl doll brand has just released a book, quote, A Smart Girl's Guide. Body image, how to love yourself, live life to the fullest, and celebrate all kinds of bodies. The book is for children as young as three years old and contains lines that give advice to prepubescents on how to change their sex without their guardian's knowledge or blessing. One passage, quote, If you haven't gone through puberty yet, your doctor might offer medicine to delay your body's changes, giving you more time to think about your identity. It also provides a list of resources for organizations that children can turn to, quote, if you don't have an adult you trust, close quote. You know a better way to put it? If you, age three, four, five, six, seven, don't like the answer your parent or an adult gives you. As the Daily Mail puts it, the book normalizes being transgender and pushes children to use puberty blockers. One section reads, quote, parts of your body may make you feel uncomfortable and you may want to change the way you look. And that's totally OK. Exclamation point. Close quote. Again, three year olds. There are a lot of books like this. I don't think people realize just how many. There's a bookstore here, a major bookstore near all kinds of schools, not far from the studio I went to a few months ago. In the toddler, toddler section, the section actually marked for toddlers. So we're speaking 
of children younger than five. We're talking three- and four-year-olds still. First book I saw was a children's book teaching the alphabet called A is for Activist. I've told the story before, but I looked up the author. He's a self-described Marxist. And I went through a few pages. For the letter L, we get LGBTQ. Love who you choose because love is true. Liberate your notions of limited emotions. Now, you may ask what three or four-year-old, what seven-year-old would even understand those words. I have the same question. It's the wrong question. It's wrong because it's irrelevant. The point is not for kids to learn how to read or comprehend sentences or vocabulary or words. The point is to train and brainwash and propagandize them. One might say to even intellectually and psychologically harm them. And the younger, the better. I've asked this before, and I think it's worth re-asking. Can we not just leave the children alone? I mean, must we, must we continue to recruit them to our causes, adult causes, at all costs, including their childhood, never mind their mental, physical, and social development and safety? So what are we doing to our children, from toddlers to teens, from toddlers being instructed in complex race theory and transitioning to Teen Vogue promoting the virtues of communism to the Cartoon Network promoting the virtues of transgenderism as well? Plato in The Republic puts it this way, quote, Shall we just carelessly allow children to hear any casual tales which may be devised by casual persons and to receive into their minds ideas for the most part the very opposite of those which we should wish them to have when they are grown up? How will that end? I know, I know. Plato is a little old-fashioned and white and dead. But again, it does seem to me just now we could use a little old-fashioned. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Turning Point USA is bringing America's biggest freedom party to Phoenix this December 17th through the 20th. It's going to be at the Phoenix Convention Center, America Fest 2022. It's going to feature the biggest names in the conservative movement. People, of course, like Charlie Kirk, Laura Ingram, Kaylee McEnany, and more. There will be nightly concerts featuring music legends Riley Green, Chase Rice, Ray Lynn, and more as well. Don't miss the largest celebration of our constitutional rights and freedom in America. Right now, I will give a pair of VIP tickets to this great event to the next caller at 602-508-0960. That VIP ticket package includes access to the general session, of course, VIP lounge access, and reserved seating. And don't worry, if you don't win the tickets, you can buy them online at amfest.com. We have a special discount for 960 The Patriot listeners, too. If you use code PATRIOT when checking out at amfest.com, you get 50% off your tickets if you're buying general admission tickets. Head to amfest.com right now, amfest.com now, for more event details. All right, uh, this Brittany Griner story, it, uh, it runs people into a lot of different directions. The first thing I'll start with is the reminder that there has yet to be a foreign policy stance or objective that Joe Biden in the Senate as vice president or as president has ever gotten right. 
Not one. Throughout the 70s and 80s, when he was on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, even chaired it, he was on the wrong side of everything, including standing up for and on behalf of the nuclear freeze, which would have unilaterally disarmed America, opposing strategic defense initiative, which I think most of us, if not all of us, should agree is something we wish we had right now, but for people like Joe Biden opposing it, we don't. Not wanting to kill, advising against killing Osama bin Laden. On and on it goes. And hopefully with the new Republican Congress, we're going to learn probably even more, specifically with relations to China and Ukraine. So, as Caroline Downey writes, after months of negotiation, the Biden administration today freed convicted notorious arms tractor trafficker Victor Bout in exchange for U.S. basketball star Brittany Griner, who has been detained in Russia on drug charges. Bout had been serving a 25-year prison sentence in the United States. In April 2012, he was found guilty of conspiring to kill Americans and U.S. officials, acquiring and exporting anti-aircraft missiles, and aiding a terrorist organization. For his illegal weapons exploits, the notorious criminal earned the moniker Merchant of Death. Bout was arrested and extradited from Thailand in 2008 in a sting operation conducted by the United States Drug Enforcement Agency. God bless him. DEA agents secured a meeting with Bout by posing as members of the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, a U.S.-designated terrorist group interested in buying tens of millions of dollars of arms. During the trial... Bout maintained his innocence, saying he never intended to kill anyone and never intended to sell arms to anyone. But prosecutors argued that Bout was aware the weapons he sold would be used against Americans. Beyond sourcing the arms throughout his criminal career, Bout physically transferred them to buyers, too, using a fleet of Soviet-constructed planes. There's a lot of armed traffickers out there. Rob Zacharias, a now-retired DEA agent who helped apprehend Bout in Thailand, told ABC7 News, The difference with Mr. Bout was he owned his own fleet of private aircraft. People can argue, was he the biggest arms trafficker? I look at him as one of the biggest arms transporters. From the fall of the Soviet Union until his arrest in 2008, this man violated numerous arms embargoes, including Liberia, Afghanistan, Sierra Leone, Congo, and Libya. Jonathan Weiner, senior official in the State Department during the Clinton administration, who was steeped in knowledge about Bout's arms ventures, told Yahoo News that Bout was once the second most wanted man in the world after Osama bin Laden. Bout got his start in the arms trade by selling weapons to participants on both sides in the Angola Civil War in the 90s, undermining U.S. efforts to bring the conflict to a peaceful resolution. Whitney Scheidman, who became aware of Bout's involvement in the Angola conflict while serving as Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs, called him the personification of evil. Bout was directly undermining our efforts to bring peace, Scheidman said. John Brennan. Yes, that John Brennan. Even John Brennan said Victor Bout is somebody who for two decades was responsible for arms trafficking and supporting terrorist organizations on multiple continents. That's who we turned back to Russia, while, by the way, we are in a residual conflict with Russia. We'll say more about this when we come right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602 I was talking about Victor Bout in this uh, prisoner exchange swap um, in the last segment. Now let me tell you about the other side. This is from David Marcus. In July 2020, among the George, uh, amid the George Floyd protests sweeping across the nation, WNBA star Brittany Griner vowed not to take the court during the national anthem for the entire season. With the much-welcome news that the Biden administration has secured her release from a Russia prison in exchange for a notorious armed dealer, Victor Bout, it's reasonable to ask if Griner will commit to no longer protesting the anthem of the country that secured her freedom. Despite the instance by many on the left that America is systemically racist and homophobic, the entirety of the country had the back of Griner who is African-American and lesbian and a basketball legend. Everyone was pulling for her and her family. And for almost a year, the pressure to get her out of Russia came from all corners of society. The absurd 90-year sentence that Greiner received for possession of a few canisters of marijuana appeared to be a clear effort by Russian President Vladimir Putin to gain leverage, and it seemed to have worked. After all, in exchange for her, the United States sent back to Russia one of the world's deadliest arm dealers who was serving 25 years for crimes, including the targeting of American citizens. While some are arguing Biden should have gotten more out of the deal, specifically the freedom of former Marine Paul Whelan, we can all agree that the U.S. paid a real price for Griner's release, not just by putting Bout back into the killing game, but also sending a message to other foreign dictators that absconding with American citizens can be a powerful bargaining chip. This is a very real danger. But Greiner is an American, one of our own, and as a nation, we have decided that whatever the risks of releasing Bout, the priority seems to have been her freedom. Speaking of freedom, one of our greatest freedoms is the right to protest. Greiner and every American can and should protest if they see injustice, such as abuses of police power against blacks or anyone. But by making the national anthem the symbol of that protest, Greiner painted the whole of America as the source of these abuses, the same America that is now sacrificed so that she may come home. This summer, Greiner penned a handwritten note to President Biden, which included the following, quote, On the 4th of July, our family normally honors the service of those who have fought for freedom, including my father, who was a Vietnam War veteran. It hurts thinking about how I usually celebrate this day because freedom means something completely different to me this year, close quote. Indeed, Brittany Griner is not being asked to pay a debt to her country for the deal that ended her torment. It's simply what America does for Americans. But perhaps going forward, when she chooses to fight social injustice, she can remember that the United States is not just a place where injustices exist. What country doesn't have that? But also that America is a place that has gone to extraordinary lengths, even putting its own people at risk to save her life. Welcome home is the message Brittany Griner should receive. America loves you, is the message it should receive. Standing for the Star-Spangled Banner would be a very welcome way to show that you love America back. We'll see if she does. My suspicion is she'll have no problem standing for the national anthem now. 
my suspicion that she'll have no problem, though, has as much to do with the fact that she got to stare in a real place of injustice and the place she claimed was unjust secured her freedom. It has to do with the fact that for so many of these protests, and yes, even rioters in 2020, America was systemically racist. America had a police brutality problem, and they took to the streets and they spat at the flag and the national anthem because there was a Republican president. With a Democratic president, it'll be much different. After all, the BLM movement did start, actually, when Barack Obama was president. But how much did you hear about it? And how many real riots were there under him? They tie their patriotism to partisanship. It's an awful thing to do to patriotism. But I suspect for those reasons, Brittany Griner will stand now as we all normally would. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. We're coming in with a little Chuck Mangione there. It made me think of... um, a funny thing I never really did address uh, on the Adam Carolla podcast for people who sometimes think I'm a little nutso uh, for uh, featuring some trumpet music here. We play a little Doc Severinsen. We play a little uh, Maynard Ferguson. We play a little Chuck Mangione and uh, a few others, a uh, little Herb Alpert, I think. Uh, he did a whole segment with Maynard Ferguson music, didn't he? Uh, comparing and contrasting it to his dad, and not one of the more famous Ferguson songs, one we used to play. I don't know if we still do. Stony End, I don't know. Do we still have that in our bumper? I guess we do. But if Adam Carolla, which is the number one or the number two podcast in America that can do it, I'll take, I'll take, certain, um, I'll take certain comfort in that. Um, Steve Hayward nails this, God. He's got such a good sense of humor. He said there's been a lot of news in the last few weeks about how artificial intelligence bots are on the cusp of being able to write prose, poetry and music as well as or better than humans. Color me skeptical. Art is not chess. But there's one instance I can think of where even a primitive artificial intelligence system would be better than the current human being attempting the job of President Biden's press secretary, Karen Jean-Paul Sartre, as I like to call her, Karen jean uh, Jean-Pierre. Check out this Total Brain Freeze. Before I play this, I don't know if you've seen or heard this audio from yesterday's press conference, but, um, you know, we sometimes talk about invincible ignorance here. There's a there's a cognate uh, form of form of um, anti-intellectualism. It's, it's a it's a loan word. Do you know what a loan word is? A loan word is a word from another country that we've, from another language that we've adopted uh, and made really an English word. It's idefix, spelled I-D-E-E-F-I-X-E, idefix, which is uh, an obsession, basically. It, it, it's, it's, it's Churchill's definition of a fanatic, which is someone who um, can't change their mind and refuses to change the subject. Listen, listen to this, and, and it's so, 
it's so embarrassing if these people had anything like shame, they'd be embarrassed. It's it's just incredible. This is uh, Karen Jean-Pierre uh, yesterday. Apparently not coming to the ball tonight. Uh, she's upset that the president uh, endorsed a proposal to uh, put South Carolina in New Hampshire. And she says that New Hampshire uh, is now vulnerable for her party. Uh, which, does the president have a response to that? So this is in response to a Democratic senator not going to a White House ball to protest that South Carolina is going to get the first Democratic primary now. I think it's it's about Jean Shaheen, who said that she will be protesting by not going to the gala. I'm sure she'll be heavily missed. Anyway, that's what the question was served up for Karen Jean-Pierre. So, look, um, we, honor, uh, we honor the Hatch Act, as I, as I mentioned many times before here, as we are talking about a potential election in 2020 uh, for a presidential election. But looking backward, it is the ultimate irony, uh, you know, uh, that the 2020 election was was uh, was proven by the Trump administration's homeland. Oh, sorry. I think I got ahead of myself there. Yeah. Yeah. And she went straight to the page on arguing against Donald Trump and the fantasies or the arguments or whatever about 2020. She went straight to the page of Donald Trump to, to respond to Donald Trump in the elections of 2020. This is how obsessed they were. She, oop, I got ahead of myself there. I don't even know why she thought that was a legitimate excuse. I got ahead of myself because I know I'm in a, I know I want to bring this up, just not right now in a question that has nothing to do with anything that I just asked. I was just asked about. It's really unbelievable. It's unbelievable. She goes straight to the answer on Don because that's what she always goes straight to. It's also incredible that she admits she's just reading answers from a printed page, not even really able to listen to the question or to think on her own feet. How hard is it to think on your feet about some of these very basic questions? It's, it's, it's insulting to watch them read pages and pages of pre-printed answers to questions they think they're going to get. It really is insulting to intelligence, artificial or otherwise. You, you never saw Dana Perino doing this. You never saw Kaylee McEnany. Um, once or twice McEnany did it when she had to read a litany of facts that she knew were going to come up to prove hypocrisy. But by and large, people like that, Ari Fleischer, Dana Perino, Kaylee McEnany, a few others that you could think of, certainly all of Reagan's press secretaries, Pat Buchanan, Larry Speak, none of them, none of them, Martin Fitzwater, Marlon Fitzwater, none of them had to read pre-printed answers to questions they expected to get. They read the newspapers in the morning. They talked with the president. They had their own thoughts. They got what the administration's message was on the most potent or important news stories of the day. And they handled it like an adult, not like a child in adult clothing, clothing, not like an adult and not like a child in adult clothing, as the phrase may be. Bob is in pace. And hi, Bob. Hey, Seth. How you doing? Today? I'm fine. How are you? Are you the only one, maybe you and I, that are competitive spirit is not being excited by what's going on with this government that well so-called government is run by these communists in washington dc i'm getting really po'd in this uh, and i heard you talking about this arms dealer who was re- released for victor bout yeah right for Brittany griner right 
There's a guy named Petro. He's now the president of Colombia since last year, who was ahead of the FARC in That's Colombia. Right. That's who, right. Who, who Victor Matt, Bout was who, trying to fund in? Yes, exactly, exactly. He was selling them cruise yeah. missiles. That, right. I've se- I've seen the body bags. Oh, I, I, that FARC was about the worst organization in 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 our hemisphere. The worst. Well, along with Castro. Yep. Noriega. Yep. Daniel Ortega yep. in Nicaragua. Yep. They ruined. They ruined the hemisphere. They ruined a country and the hemisphere around them. It took so much work, Bob. You, I don't need to tell you. You, you, you know how my much. My question. Work. My question is, sir, when are we going to go on the offenses? You're talking about fentanyl. I had a Republican Congresswoman from Arizona on the radio. I tried to get through to her several weeks ago. She was talking about the same thing, and her solution was always defense. Let's build the wall. Let's build the wall. Seth, the wall's not going to stop what's nope. going on with this fentanyl. Nope. What it's, is going, it's, what you're is going at, to Bob, you're with? absolutely right. The, the wall will help, and it's critical, uh, or at least border security will help, and it's critical. There's one thing, one, as far as I know in her long life and my shorter life, that Hillary Clinton said that's true. One thing, and it was about this issue. She said, um, you know, there is a supply problem of illegal drugs crossing the border. But if there weren't Americans demanding it, there wouldn't be a supply problem. You know, Bob, we've done this before. We've been through it before. The word is prevention. The word is prevention. The phrase is prevention messaging. Yes, of course, we need to go back in and work with the countries at play here, whether they be Colombia, whether they be Mexico, whether they be China. We did all of that in the 80s and 90s. But we also had a serious prevention messaging campaign, and we reduced drug use in this country by over 60%. People think we can't do something about it. We can. We just stopped. We just stopped. Thank you, Bob. If you have more on this, uh, you're welcome to speak about it when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you are concerned about the volatility of the stock market, our friends at Y-Refi have an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement looks like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. No loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. You're paid monthly. There are no Fees. It's a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a rate of return as high as 10.25%. That's right, up to 10.25%. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can learn more about them at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34, 888-Y-REFI-34. You can visit with these guys. They're great people, just great people. Bob, uh, you still with me? Yes, sir, still here. Okay, well, I was just making the point that this is a problem of supply, but it won't be killed off by just dealing with that. We have a demand issue here. Well, that is correct. I I know a general in the Colombian Air Force, and he said the same thing over beers one day. Yeah. If Canada and the United States yeah. didn't have the demand, we that's wouldn't right. have the business. That, that's and right. The, the, that's right. Here's the solution in a nutshell. So I'm trying to calm down here. Okay. Kind of, <laughs> I, I can have a spirit. And here, I like the, the spirit, though. I mean, you have the right spirit because <laughs> not enough people have it on this issue. Here's the, here's the solution, sir. 
we know these cartels' addresses, their longitude and latitude, and we need clandestine operations for the fentanyl dealers in Mexico, if that's where they are. I think there are other places, too. Yeah. We make, we're going to make a statement, and when their kids and their wives and their friends are died by 10,000-pound smart bombs, it may stop. If it doesn't stop, the other alternative is what we've done in our history in the past. We went through Veracruz, and we were in Mexico City back in the 1800s, or the 1840s, I believe, Seth. We, we need to send the message to Mexico. Yeah, we Mexico don't even have to go back to that far. I mean, you, you know what the story was in the 80s and 90s. You know what something called the Special Forces could do against the Fuerzas Armadas Revolucionarias de Colombia. You know you know what we did. We had, first of all, we had to work with those countries. We have, we have no ability to do that right now. Thank you to the foreign policy president that we have right now. But yeah, you're right. You're right, Bob. The sentiment is absolutely right. This, this is not ser- This is not a serious effort. Very few people are taking it seriously. In fact, they're endowing it. They're killing Americans. And they're uh, killing Americans. And, yeah. and, and the solution in Washington, D.C., as you said earlier in the show, give them needles. Yeah, and make drugs it easier. And, and, right. And make it easier yeah. for them to get Make it stuff. easier and cheaper. The exact exactly. opposite thing you want to do with something like this, which was in the 90s described as the devil. We need that terminology back, too. Don't go away. I'm Seth Leibson. Bob, thank you. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.